Today on The Growth Show, we talked to Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin, founders of The Skim, a daily newsletter that's designed to give you everything you need to start your day. And the journey going from 80 Skimbassadors to 2,000 Skimbassadors accounted for over 10% of our growth last year. So um, really, I think the thing that we did that was the, the best thing that we did when it comes to growing was figuring out how to grow organically using our community. We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You're listening to The Growth Show with Mike Volpe. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Growth Show uh, produced by Dave Gerhardt. I'm Mike Volpe, the CMO at HubSpot, and today I'm joined by Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin, and they're the founders of The Skim. Ladies, hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a ton. So why don't you, um, why don't one of you tell us a little bit of what The Skim is for anybody who hasn't heard of it, and tell us who's who so we can just get the voices right too. Great. Uh, well, this is Danielle, and The Skim uh, is a company that makes it easier to be smarter, we started about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago now, um, and launched with a daily email newsletter that breaks down the headlines. So it's pretty much for anyone that is busy, is on the go, and needs information on their way to work or while they're driving the kids to school. Just when you wake up, you grab your phone, we tell you everything you need to know in under five minutes. And we do it in a voice uh, that you actually enjoy waking up to. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Now tell us, where did the original idea come from? Uh, this is Carly. Well, Danielle and I used to work um, together, or actually we didn't work together. We both knew each other, uh, but we were at NBC News. We actually knew each other from a college study abroad trip randomly, but uh, we both worked at NBC News. And um, as you know, friends and colleagues in, in the same space, um, you know, you, you tend to bond and, and go grab drinks and brunch and, you know, something like that. And, um, you know, we, we saw how the traditional media landscape was really changing. And, um, you know, we were kind of having our quarter life crisis, I would say, and that we were trying to figure out what does our career look like in the long term. And, you know, we loved NBC. We loved our coworkers. We loved our day jobs. Um, but we were truly concerned about what our future would be there. And separately from that, you know, we used to kind of just swap stories anecdotally how our friends um, who are really, really smart, went to great colleges, have great jobs, um, would come to us every day and say, what happened in the world today? And um, this was something that, you know, we would just kind of share these stories over, over brunch or drinks, like I said. And um, over time, sort of started to see a pattern in, in the questions our friends were asking and realized there was clearly a disconnect between how our friends were consuming media and information and how all these outlets were trying to reach them. There was no shortage of outlets trying to deliver information every day. Um, we ended up becoming roommates in New York City and uh, realized there was an opportunity in front of us. So um, we ended up quitting our jobs and we launched the skim from our living room couch. 
And so did you quit your jobs based on the idea or had you sort of worked on it a little bit on the side and sort of built it up a little yeah, bit first? Yeah, you know, we actually quit our jobs based on the idea, which in Good hindsight, telling a story, it does not sound like anything either of us would do. So it was sort of just this out-of-body experience, but um, we really believed in it so much. And, um, you know, having never started a business before, I would say, you know, naivete was um, in our corner and we didn't know how scary it would be. We just kind of went for it. I, so I think that's actually great, though. I think a lot of um, early stage startups, if there's something, if there's something that someone's running on the side, they sort of they don't get the, pe- the person's full commitment, you know. And I think they're less likely to be successful. And I think you guys were in a position where, you know, you're still earlier in your careers. You, you know, probably didn't have gigantic financial and and you know family commitments. And I think you know there's an opportunity to take a risk there. I commend you guys for it. I think it's awesome. Thank you. And I think that's, you know, you kind of hit it on the head. One was that we never really thought about, I mean, we obviously both had an entrepreneurial spirit, but we loved working in news and we loved being producers. Um, And it was really because the industry was changing that we knew we had to change um, in order to stay with it. So it was more like, you know, we wanted to start a company in order to keep doing what we loved and not just because we wanted to start something. Um, And I think, you know, that that went a long way. Um, and I think, you know, it was a reality that, um, we were in a place where we were, you know, in our mid twenties and roommates. Um, and it was never, it was never going to be easy to start a company, but it certainly wasn't ever going to be easier, um, than it was then when, you know, our only responsibility was being able to pay rent. Um, and those two things I think really pushed us. Um, it was like, you know, now or never in a certain way. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the the idea and the audience and sort of how you think about that. I've heard the skim described to me by others as, you know, it's it's a daily summary or daily newsletter for millennial women. But you didn't mention anything like that. So do you, do you think about the audience or do you think about sort of the use case of what you're doing? Like which one's sort of more important for you? How do you think about your audience? So we definitely have a very focused audience. Um, you know, we're, we're very upfront that our target audience is women 22 to 34 in big cities throughout the country. That's our target, and it's definitely the majority of our user base. Half of our audience makes over $100,000 a year. Um, it's, you know, people that are educated, that are working, that are busy, um, on the go. Um, We also have a ton of working and stay-at-home moms. We also have a ton, um, 20% of our audience is male. Um, We certainly don't believe that news is gender-specific. We don't believe that men need different news than we do. Um, But what we... Do, what we did see and what really, you know, was the the launching vehicle for this game was that, you know, the female millennials influencing hundreds of billions of dollars um, each year. And when we looked around um, the news landscape, there wasn't a product that was really geared towards her routine or how she liked to consume information. She's not waking up, turning on the television and watching morning television. Uh, but that, that idea is still a great way to get information. So we wanted to update that um, and put it in the palm of your hand. That, that sounds awesome. Now, have you th- talk to me about growth strategy is obviously the market that you're in, there's still, you know, you have, I think, I don't know what the current number is. And one of the numbers I saw was like a million subscribers. There's a huge opportunity to grow that even bigger. But have you thought about other, you know, slicing off other audiences? For instance, you know, I'm in my early 40s, right? And a guy and a dad and, you know, an executive at a company. I would love something like this. 
and I've read the skim and it's good and I think it's awesome, but I could imagine maybe some different topics or maybe some things requiring a little bit more explanation for me because I don't know as much of the backstory for some of the things you guys talk about. So I could, I could almost imagine a different version of the skim for different audiences. You know, have you ever thought about that? Is that something you're thinking about? You know, we actually thought about it when we first launched. We kind of thought that was what was going to happen. We thought we'd have, you know, 18 different versions of the skim for every type of demographic you could think of. When we launched, we were pleasantly surprised about how every demographic related to this product. And we, you know, as we learned about how to kind of scale our, our voice and how to, how to scale a business, we realized what a terrible idea it would have been to, to do those um, kind of 18 vertical spinoffs. Um, you know, I think the, the strength of the skim and the strength that we have as founders um, and the strength that we have as a company is how focused we are. Um, I think we, we know we can't be everything to everybody and we're not trying to be. We have a really specific demographic in mind when we write, knowing that news is not gender specific. Um, what we, I think what we see is that so many different um, people respond to this voice and respond to the context that we provide every day and the way that we go about delivering information. So tell us, you both quit your jobs and I assume you're, you're sitting on someone's couch and you're like, okay, let's start a business, right? How, how did you think about the first 50 or 100 subscribers? How did you think about the first edition of the skim? The first, um, a thousand subscribers. We So what happened was um, we actually were sitting on our couch. We were roommates in, in New York City. And day one, um, we, we literally like got up and we sent an email to every single person in our contacts list and Facebook friend list. So between the two of us, we put pulled together about 5,500 contacts. And when we say like anyone in our, in our contact list, we literally mean anyone we've ever emailed or talked to. I mean, there were ex-boyfriends, their mothers, like people in our freshman year writing seminars, like just random people that we hadn't spoken to in a very long time. And um, we literally just sent an email to anyone whose email address we had. And we just said, hey, we quit our jobs. Please sign up for this. That day, I think about uh, a little under 800 people signed up the first day. So um, from there, then we started growing by word of mouth. We were really lucky that press picked it up right away. Um, you know, we come from media. We used to be on the other side of pitches. Um, to date, we have pitched four articles about ourselves, and that was two on the, on the first day, and then the rest were around funding um, that we've done since then. But um, what we've seen is that uh, media just really picked it up and, and went with it. So it was a combination of just a ton of really incredible press and, and talking about it and um, just really people forwarding it word of mouth. And so from there, what was the process of starting to raise some funding? You know, what was that pitch? Um, well, it was uh, an interesting process for us. We're first-time founders. Um, you know, we came from an editorial background. We didn't have a traditional business or tech background. Um, so the idea of raising money was really foreign. Um, so when we started out, um, you know, we just had about two months worth of savings. And the idea was get off the ground, see if there's some traction. And if not, um, it was right before the 2012 election. So we knew we could get freelance jobs. Um, and that was really the backup plan. Um, so we started um, and, you know, our traction was kind of it. It was astounding from the get-go, um, which was, you know, amazing for us to see. Um, and a community very quickly started to form around us where we would get emails from people writing in and say, 
you know, I love the skim, how can I help? Um, and we would just say, pass it on to five friends. Um, so our growth really started to pick up. Um, and once we got to, you know, about 10,000 subscribers that first summer, we started to think about, okay, if we're going to do this, we need, we need some funding just to pay for our MailChimp bill and to be able to live and keep doing this. Um, so we took in a really small angel round. Um, we took in about $200,000 and a year later we still had over half of that left. The idea was like we could sit in a bunker and just have this money for the rest of the time of the skin because we are going to grow this company no matter what. And how'd you find those angels? I mean, you hadn't raised funding before. How'd you find them? Um, networking. It was really, you know, making a list of people who had been involved with similar properties before, um, and just kind of going to start up breakfast, um, being meeting people that were really generous, um, with their time and with their advice. Um, and that's, you know, how we kind of started to go about the idea of fundraising was just networking, um, sending cold emails, you know, going to events where we thought we could meet people, um, and just being very honest and straightforward and saying to people like, Hey, you know, we, we quit our jobs. We started something. Would you mind signing up for it and checking it out? Um, and you know, if it was someone that had started their own business before, we would just say, can we take you to coffee and can we talk to you about fundraising? Um, and with that, we, we got to know a little bit, um, of what we were talking about. Um, so we raised that first round or angel round, um, and just kept on growing. Um, so it was still the two of us. Um, and then, you know, we, we started to get to about a hundred thousand users and, we were like, okay, this is this is really something. Um, and if we're going to do this, we need to take in um, some real funding and get investors behind us that can help us um, and hire a team. So we set out to do a seed raise. Um, we made our pitch deck for you know for real for the first time. We we did financial projections with the help of friends who worked in finance, um, and we talked to a lot of founders who had fundraised before and, and got a lot of edits on our pitch deck and they were able to kind of point us in the right direction. And then we went out to pitch. Um, we talked to a lot of angels. We talked to a lot of seed funds. Um, we talked to a lot of different people because we didn't really know um, in the beginning what we were looking for. So over time, we started to narrow it down. Um, and Homebrew Ventures... Um, which is based in San Francisco, led our seed round, Satya Patel and Hunter Walk. Um, and we could not have been luckier. Um, they have just been the best investors and partners in the skim that we could ask for. Um, and that's really because they come from a product background. So they looked at the skim really as a product that we needed to improve and grow um, and helped us really focus. So they wanted us to focus um, our whole, you know, first year of being a, a venture-backed company on user growth. All they cared about was just audience growth. Just focus on that, focus on the audience, focus on putting out a good product and just grow it. Um, so that's what we did. And we hit a million subscribers um, months ahead of our projected schedule. Um, and from there, it was time to raise a, a Series A so that we could start monetizing and, and uh, start thinking about other platforms. Um, so we finished up our Series A at the end of last year, um, and now we're a team of 13 people in our second office, uh, and it's it's a really incredible feeling 
um, to look around and all of a sudden to have this new space uh, filled with, you know, brand new people who um, are letting us take the company in different directions just because we finally have some bandwidth. So tell me about the, the growth to the million subscribers. What were the things you did? What were the little levers you pulled? What were the things you tried? Maybe things you tried that didn't work. Was there, you know, how much of that was, you know, paid advertising channels that you found that worked? How much of it was sort of virality built in? How much of it was things that you engineered to kind of stimulate more referrals? Talk to us about that. I think people are always fascinated about those growth stories. Yeah, the first million was entirely organic, um, which we're really, you know, excited about. Um, you know, we really grew by word of mouth. I think the things that we did that were, um, I'll talk, actually, I'll start with the things that we did that weren't helpful. We we play, we really really tried to spend a lot, way too much time working on with brands um, on distribution opportunities and working with much more traditional outlets and trying to to figure out where the skin could be printed out or where the skin could be displayed, you know, somewhere, you know, in whatever whichever brands um, properties. And um, what we found was, you know, with something, if something's printed out, there's no way for us to track if people sign up from it. Um, people also usually throw away printouts of things. What we also found is a lot of traditional outlets, while they, you know, many of them have good intentions of working with startups, so many of them can't move at a startup pace. And there are certain brands that, you know, we actually were talking about it as a team this week that we've literally had rescheduled meetings with um, for over a year and a half at this point. And <laughs> it's just, you know, it's hilarious. We just, I mean, just keep rescheduling. They keep rescheduling and we keep allowing it. And, you know, we just kind of laugh about it. But um, I think it, it says a lot. And I think we spent the first few months of having um, our seed funding and, and building our team, the first few months of that kind of spinning our wheels in the wrong places. Um, so that, that was a lesson we learned. Um, I think, you know, not just, we do think, you know, at this point where we are as a company, we're definitely looking at partnerships much more seriously right now. But, um, at that time when we were so young and we were just trying to get basic user growth, that really slowed us down. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you it's so Gail Goodman, who's the CEO of constant contact and she's been yeah. CEO there for a long, long time. One of the things she was on our board for like the first four years of HubSpot and one of the things she told us was these big, you know, business development deals with other big players in your space, you always dream about how well they can work out. But her advice was in the first couple years of your business, it's just never going to come together because they go so slowly. They have no incentive to actually do anything with you. There's so many other things you can be doing. And if you just sort of like focus on yourself a little bit more, it was really, it was because we were at the time trying to do the stuff and it was obviously different companies, but play with all the big players in our space. We said, wow, they have so much reach and so much leverage. There's got to be things we can do with them and whatever. And it really wasn't until four, five, six years, probably four or five years into our business that we were big enough and could have more to offer to those relationships that they actually really started to kick in at all. So her, her advice really ended up coming true really for us a lot. And so, uh, and it seems like you guys are kind of proving that true too. So I think it's 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 really interesting advice for early stage companies because I think a lot of people expect those big things to kind of be part of their growth. And I think like you said, it just, you know, who knows, maybe a couple of years from now, it could be a huge part of what you're doing. But for the first year or so, I, I agree with you. I think you guys, I think it's really sage advice you're offering. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we learned it the hard way and a lot of other founders told it, warned us about it. And, you know, you kind of, it's one of those things you don't believe it until you you go through it yourself. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a waste of our time at that, at that point. Um, but what did work, I think for us was, um, really thinking about our community. You know, I think one of the things that we were 
relatively naive, naive about when we launched the skim was how to get a community. We sort of thought, okay, we'll launch, we'll launch this email, we'll get people to sign up, and then we're going to think about the community. Thankfully, um, the community came to us, and we're so grateful for that because it's it's laughable about how naive we were about it. Um, and what happened, I mean, really from from day one, were people writing and saying, I never I never write into anything, but I love the skim, and I you know, and then we would sit right back and say thank you and. Um, so one of our advisors um, early on said, why don't you write back and just say, ask them to share it with five to 10 people. So we started doing that. We said, thank you so much. Would you mind sharing the skin with five to 10 friends? They would write back and say, just send it to 20 or you got it. And you should call me a, a skin ambassador. And they, it just kind of became this dialogue with our community. And, you know, we're responding to every single email we get. And from there, this kind of pseudonym of skin ambassador started growing and, um, when, you know, by the time we hired our first employee, we had, I would say like a, about a hundred people that we were calling ambassadors and they were loosely organized on college campuses. And we were trying to, we knew there was something there too, but we didn't have the bandwidth to do it on our own. So our first employee, we actually brought on a reader and we said, we've got all these people calling themselves ambassadors. Let's organize them and do something. So, um, our, you know, we say we've grown by word of mouth. Our ambassadors are such a strategic cornerstone for us as a company. They are volunteer brand reps that are part of this community that are extremely um, close to the brand in the sense that we're talking to them all day. They were providing networking opportunities. They're meeting one another in other cities. They're getting kind of the behind the scenes or inside baseball look into a growing startup. And they just love the brand and, and want to get some skim swag. And for us, they're helping us actually grow. So last May, we had um, 80 skim ambassadors. Today, we have well over 5,000. And the journey going from 80 skim ambassadors to 2,000 skim ambassadors accounted for over 10% of our growth last year. Wow. So um, really, I think the thing that we did that was the, the best thing that we did when it comes to growing was figuring out how to grow organically using our community. Wow. Fascinating. Um, that's really interesting. And I'm glad you shared something that didn't work too, because a lot of people aren't willing to do that. So that's, it's super helpful to folks. Uh, so, uh, I've seen you guys quoted that in saying that it took a lot of guts and white wine for you to make the skim a reality. So what kind of white wine are you guys into? Um, anything. <laughs> We're lucky now that, um, it's funny. We, we do, um, skim reads like a, a book suggestion, um, about once a week. And now we started pairing it with a wine selection brought to you by, uh, our in-house skimologist. Um, and it's, it's a very nice startup perk that a lot of wine and alcohol companies have started to notice. Um, so skim HQ is now, is now pretty fully stocked with white wine. Oh, okay. That's so what I need to do is basically I'm into whiskey I need to talk about whiskeys and have like a whiskey linkage for this show. And yeah. then you're saying bottles will just show up on my desk. Yeah. Boom. Okay. You, now you, that's you, for me, the most valuable thing you said the entire uh, interview. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's awesome. That's, <laughs> I that's think awesome. That makes sense. <laughs> that's yeah. Okay. I love that. Um, so you guys are both female founders in New York with a, you know, a tech and media company. Do, do you get involved at all with like advocating for female founders or are you just too busy trying to run your company and prove that you guys are awesome? Like what's the, so you guys, yeah. Yeah, it's what a do you tricky think about slope, that, that I think because um, we would we benefited so much from having amazing female advisors and um, female founders around us 
you know, the, the woman start, that started Guilt Group and Rent the Runway um, and Katya from, Bo, um, from Birchbox have been great to us, um, along with a lot of other people, Alexa Von Tobel, um, who have been so generous in sharing their time. Um, our advisory board is pretty much all women, um, and it's something that we're so thankful for um, and something that we still kind of pinch ourselves a little bit that we walk into, um, you know, a networking breakfast. And it's amazing how three years later, you know, we went from being the people in the corner that didn't really know anyone to, um, you know, these women who have started these these great things saying hello to us and, and really having a relationship with them now. Um, so wanting to give back and wanting to be as generous with time and advice is something that is so important to us. Um, at the same time, we really can't get there unless we focus on building a company that is successful. Um, and to do that, we, we have to be super careful with our schedules. So we would love to say that, you know, we're able to give back, but to be honest, we're, we're not right now. Um, we'd love to make more time to talk to people. And it's really tough that we get people writing in saying, you know, I love what you've done. And I'm thinking about starting my own company. And all we want to do is spend 45 minutes talking to this person on the phone and hearing what they're into and how we can help. Um, but at the same time, that's just not a reality right now. So it's definitely something we value. And, you know, hopefully down the road, we can find a way to um, connect and to spend meaningful time um, with people who have, you know, heard our story and want to do something um, their selves, but not right now. Well, I wouldn't underestimate the value of building something awesome and having the two of you make this company really successful and the value that that brings to the whole female founder community. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, I think that's like proving that you can do it and build something awesome out of it, I think is as important as you guys coaching and mentoring. So I, I completely agree with your sort of prioritization of time right now. Final question. Where do you see the skim five years in the future? Is it, you know, is how important is the email newsletter at that point in time? Is there a conference? Is there an app? Are there, are you selling your own brand of white wine? Like what, like, what is it? Oh, selling your own brand of white wine. I think, uh, uh just, yes. And <laughs> yeah, a conference we actually will make time to attend. Yeah. Um, no, I think for us, um, the answer is we see the scam as, as the first company to turn information into a lifestyle brand. And I hate the word lifestyle because I think it's really overused. So what we mean by it is the first company to turn information into a company that, that fits it indirectly into the routines of our target user. And to do that, we hope that we are on every platform. We hope that we have a conference. We hope that we do have a white wine and all of the above that you just mentioned. Um, I think for us, the email is the anchor to what we're building. Um, it's it's where we get everyone to, to, to fall in love with the skim life. And from there, we can bring them to different platforms and to different products. So for us, this is just the beginning. Awesome. I love it. That's, I think that's a great place to kind of break. So Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin, the founders of The Skim, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Growth Show. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd love it if you left us a review in iTunes. They really do help us with the rankings and, and busting through and continue to grow the show. And if you head over to thegrowthshow.com, you can get on our email list and get exclusive updates about the show, including a sneak peek of some upcoming guests. Thanks everyone for listening and hope you join us next time.
On this episode of The Gross Show, we talk to the Sausage King, the guy who runs those sausage carts in Boston, both outside Fenway Park and also outside the clubs at night. On this episode of The Gross Show, we talk to Tupac, bringing back his hologram from the Coachella Festival. Tupac, it's great that you're here, but not really. 